Well, now, in these moments, good and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, peace to you and grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. A reportedly true story from the hills of West Virginia. It came to the attention of the First Baptist Church in one of the little towns that a local family was in need. Word was a mother had become bedridden and her three girls were in need of some attention. So the Baptist Women's Circle got busy, made some calls, and established a relationship with the family. Homemade cakes and meals and cards began arriving at the family's door. And as arranged on Sunday mornings, a minivan collected the girls and brought them to Sunday school and to worship. The children always arrived scrubbed and clean and perfectly happy in their overalls. No one said a word out loud about their attire. It was a delight to have them there. For the next month of Sundays, all was well. And then one Saturday, three Baptist women arrived at their door bearing gifts a new flowered dress for each girl, hair ribbons, shiny shoes still in the, in the boxes. Next morning, the minivan rolled up to collect the girls. No one answered the door. Maybe they had left to visit relatives. The next Sunday, the minivan stopped by, and again, no one was home. And so later that week, the president of the women's circle paid a visit to make sure that all was well. The girl's mother greeted her warmly at the door and exclaimed, Thank you, thank you for the beautiful dresses and the shoes. They fit perfectly. As a matter of fact, now my children look so nice and dressed up that now they can go to the Presbyterian church. Some gifts have unintended consequences. This morning, we celebrate the gift that makes all the difference in the world, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Today is Pentecost, you know that, and I hope we never get tired of telling the story of that day when something extraordinary happened to a group of 120 men and women in Jerusalem. 120, and and they're not particularly remarkable people as, as you read the story. Many are uneducated, many are poor, and all of them, frankly, are pretty nervous about their faith. They believe in a resurrected Christ, but somehow that belief hadn't changed them, hadn't gotten deep inside them, not yet. But on one unforgettable day, Those 12 and all the others get together and they pray just as Jesus had taught them. And when they do, oh my goodness, something amazing happens. Something gets in them. From outside themselves, something comes and falls like a fire and blows like a wind on every one of them. And when it does, now they can see this power in one another. See, until recently they'd been mostly afraid, but now they have this courage And they have been, up until this point, pretty silent about their faith. But now they're out in the street sharing the news about Christ with neighbors and strangers. And there's such a noticeable difference that everybody who sees them says, Whoa, what's going on here? These people have lost their minds. They must be drunk. 
But when that whole incredible day is over, Luke says, 3,000 people had come to realize those people were not drunk or crazy. What they were was alive. Anytime we talk about Holy Spirit, we find ourselves face to face with a very great mystery. There are things in this life that you can predict and control and manage. Holy Spirit is not one of them. There's a mystery with the Spirit, and the longer I follow Christ, the more I find this to be true. Now, some churches do behave as though they are the licensed franchisers of the Holy Spirit in charge of distribution. On the other hand, there are churches that operate as though the Holy Spirit retired 19 and a half centuries ago, churches through which the winds of the Spirit haven't blown in a long, long time, in which people get really nervous, actually, about talking about the Spirit. Well, The Spirit's not our genie in a bottle, nor is the Holy Spirit a relic from the past. The Spirit is alive and well and longs to blow through churches everywhere to give them power. Just before he left this earth, Jesus said something to his followers. You will receive power, he said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power power, which is to say, you and I don't have power, not real power, until we taste the Spirit's power. You will receive power, said Jesus to that reticent, timid bunch of believers. And as soon as they discovered, as they discovered that power was precisely what they got. So this morning, I, I ask, what, what is the power of the Spirit? For one thing, it's power to convict human beings of our sin. And I want to unpack that word a little since it's been used too often by the church and especially by preachers as a weapon against all kinds of people. It's worth noting, I think, that in the Greek, the Greek word hamartia is the word most often translated as sin in the New Testament, but it doesn't imply transgression in the sense of breaking a rule or defying an authority. It means to miss the mark, as in an arrow that misses its target. And in that Vain. I, I really like what Richard Rohr has written and said about, about the word sin. Sins, he said, are fixations in us that prevent God's love, the energy of life, from flowing freely. According to Rohr, we're not punished for our sins, we're punished by our sins, these self-erected blockades that cut us off from God. And when this happens, we, we, we miss God's loving intended target for us, our best, truest self in God that blooms in the light of divine grace. On the day of Pentecost, Peter, who had been so timid as a disciple, spoke to the crowd under the inspiration of the Spirit. And Luke said that when the people heard Peter's words about Jesus, they were cut to the heart and said, ah, what should we do? 
And this was Peter's response, so simple. He said, change your life, turn to God, be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ and receive the gift of Holy Spirit. And Luke says the church grew that day from 120 to 3,000 believers. When it comes to, when it comes to transformation, the presence of the Spirit makes all the difference in the world. And the Spirit gives power to create community. At Pentecost, people for, who for as long as anyone could remember had been separate and hostile towards one another discovered all the walls coming down and they became one, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, slave and free, male and female. This was unheard of in that day. Without the gifts of the Spirit, we are reduced to one language, this homogenous clique that wants the same thing, a club in which everybody looks alike and sounds alike and votes alike. When it comes to building community, the presence of the Spirit makes all the difference in the world. There's this Pentecost-like aura that surrounds John Sayles' 1987 film, Mate One. Maybe you've seen it. It's old. It's wonderful. Featuring the actors Chris Cooper and James Earl Jones, Mary McDonnell. And it's the story of a strike and a shootout at a coal mine in the 1920s in Matewan, West Virginia, about 400 miles east of where we're sitting today. When the pacifist union organizer Joe Kenahan comes to town, he finds this terrible disunity. The native West Virginia strikers are angry at the Italians imported by the mine owners as strike breakers. And when the Italians, who were former shoemakers, proved to be inept at mining, the owners bring up from Alabama African-American families. And Joe Kenahan is a true Christ figure in the film, even though he claims no religious affiliation, he talks to all three of, of, of the groups, the local miners, the Italians, the folks from Alabama, into joining together. And in this film, their growing unity is symbolized by music. A local fiddler listens to an Italian playing a haunting tune and then takes it up and joins in the song. And then an African-American man joins in on his harmonica and soon all three are playing this beautiful harmony. We see a West Virginia mother taking food to the home of the Italian family whose children are hungry and have nothing to eat. And that hungry and grateful family invite their newfound friend to stay and eat with them. And even though they speak different languages, when they come to sit down together to break bread, they're able to communicate because they do understand the language of love, the practice of hospitality, the gift of grace that overcomes bigotry and separation. And as bread is broken and smiles are shared, we see that not only is it possible for love to overcome barriers of prejudice and hatred, it's the only thing that does. Friends, the Holy Spirit of Christ 
which is to say the spirit of love, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of transformation and life is still blowing through the church. It is. Is this the gift we really want? Does the church want to become a channel of grace and understanding in this fractured nation and world? Does this church want that? Do we want to be a bridge of reconciliation and righteousness fueled by the spirit rather than by some fearful need to be silent and safe? Afraid of failure, afraid of being told no, afraid of loss, afraid of controversy. So afraid we refuse the gift that's dancing right in our midst. Who can begin to estimate what it would mean for me, for you, for us together to open ourselves in fresh ways to the Spirit of God? Oh, let our hearts be open. And let this church be open to every new gift of courage and strength and love. All evidence of the Holy Spirit of God who makes all the difference in the world. And so Spirit of God, blow through our lives Open our mouths to speak in the power and the freedom and the love of the gospel. Let no one here be afraid. Give us courage and joy to be able with all that is in us to say yes to Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.